Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. Three years, church. If you didn't know, today is the finale in the book of Mark. We have come to the final portion, Mark chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. I'm going to be reading in a moment, starting in verse number 14. But can I just say, uh, I am thankful. I'm thankful for the Word of God, and I'm thankful for a church that's committed to His Word. Because the Word of God is the only thing that changes us, that directs us, that gives us the firm foundation on which we are to stand upon. So we started this journey going verse by verse through the book of Mark over three years ago, and I thought it was pretty cool. Actually, um, Michael just told me that the day we started the book of Mark series was the week we closed on purchasing this building. And so it's pretty cool now, uh, after three years, to be coming to the end of a verse-by-verse journey. And so some of you are going, man, Caleb, you're looking dapper today. You see, I realized it was Pentecost Sunday, and I also realized it was the closing of the book of Mark, and I thought, I got to show them that their pastor can still wear a suit. So I'm here suited and uh, Aladdin shoe booted, so let's go. I'm ready to close out this series. We're closing on Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read verse 14 through 20. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Afterward, he, being Jesus, appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world, and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So I love that this is the text we've come to on Pentecost Sunday. If you don't know what Pentecost Sunday is, Pentecost Sunday is the Sunday that we celebrate what God did in the upper room. You see Jesus, after he was crucified, he rose again, and then he ascended up into heaven. And when he ascended up into heaven, he gave his disciples a final command. He told them, he said, I want you to wait on one who is coming, who's going to come and dwell within you and give you power. It is my spirit. And so they went and they waited in the upper room, 120 of the disciples. And they waited and it says that tongues of fire came and rested on every one of their head. They started to speak in tongues, not their own. And these tongues that they spoke were other languages. And in all the languages, they were praising God. And they went out to the marketplace. There were thousands of people. It was during a a celebration of the Jewish people. And they were speaking in these other languages that they didn't know. And the people were like, are they drunk? And uh, they said, no, I'm pretty sure when you're drunk, you don't suddenly know a new language. 
And then Peter got up and preached the first message in the history of the church. And it says that 3,000 people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ on that day. And that is Pentecost Sunday. And that is what today is. And we've come to this text, which I believe is a text of empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But it's ultimately a test, a text about belief. You see, believing is a powerful thing, isn't it? What you believe in. Who you believe in. Belief changes things. I was thinking about, you know, growing up as a, a basketball player, and I know I, I love to talk about sports, and um, growing up playing basketball, there's something in basketball called a green light. You see, certain people on every team uh, on the basketball court have a green light. What does that mean? It means the green light people, coaches will tell them, they're allowed to shoot whenever they want. So everyone wanted the green light. But the reality is only few on each team have a green light. Why? Because most of the team have, have other roles. Their roles are to rebound, to play good defense, to get assists, to properly run the offense. And there's usually only a couple people on each team that always have the green light to shoot because their job is to score. Now, you know your boy always had the green light. Whether my coaches gave it to me or not, in my mind, the green light was always on. But I was thinking about it because I think that as we come to this text and this message about belief, but it's really about believing and going, I think that there's a lot of people in this room and a lot of Christians that you've actually yellow-lighted yourself or red-lighted yourself when it comes to sharing your faith, when it comes to sharing the gospel. Now, why would you do this? It's pretty simple. Because you don't believe in yourself, number one. Second, many of you think you're not holy enough or righteous enough because of your past or even your current sin. You disqualify yourself. I can't share the gospel. I can't share the good news. Some of you maybe think, well, that's a job for the pastors or the really religious, spiritual people that come to the church. That's their job. But me, no, 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 I, I'm not one of those. So I, I'm yellow lighting myself. I'm red lighting myself. Well, today I wanted to declare to you the reality that Jesus gave you all a green light to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere and to anyone that you come in contact with. So today I want to preach a message entitled, The Be in Belief. The Be in Belief. Now, why have I titled it this it's because if you're going to be who Jesus wants you to be, you have to receive every part of what it takes to believe. If you're going to believe, be who Jesus wants you to be, and here's what I believe, that Jesus wants you to be a person that walks out the good news that shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it all starts with believing. I mean, if you were paying attention when I read the text here in Mark chapter 16, it says that he goes to the disciples and he rebukes them for their unbelief and their hardness 
of heart. So I want to share with you four C's of belief. You see, the first C when it comes to belief is there is a call to repentance. A call to repentance. Now, I know that this isn't something we like to talk about the church anymore, repentance, repenting. But I believe that it's something powerful that the church has lost track of in today's culture. You see, Repenting of our sin is core of believing, and it's a core foundational thing when it comes to walking out our belief and our faith in this journey that Jesus has called us to. I want to go back just a few verses. Verse number 10, Mary Magdalene has just seen Jesus in the flesh and it says that she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. They wouldn't believe it. It goes on in verse number 12. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them. So now he shows himself to two other disciples as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. And then Jesus appears to the disciples and rebukes them for their hardness of heart and their unbelief. I think that belief is sometimes not because of a lack of evidence or importance. I believe that the lack of belief in our hearts is often because of the hardness of our hearts. You see, that's what he actually says here to the disciples. He rebukes them because of their hardness of heart. They've now had Mary and the other Mary tell them that Jesus is alive. They've now had two of their own brothers who are disciples come to them and say, no, no, we saw Jesus. He came to us. He walked with us. The road to Emmaus, he walked with us. And it says that they still didn't believe. Why would that be? Because as human beings, we naturally are hard-hearted. We naturally are prideful, and I'm guilty of this. My wife will tell you, I always got to see it to believe it myself. My wife will tell me something. I go, nah, can't be true. I got to Google it myself. And I'll Google it, and it'll be true, and I'll be like, okay, you're right. She'll be like, why don't you just believe me? Because I have a hard heart. Because I got to see it for myself. I got to touch Jesus for myself, the disciples said. And so today, I wanted to challenge us that as God's people, we would be a people of repentance. That we would confess our sin one to another. We would confess our sin to our Savior. And we would repent when we're wrong. We talk a lot about wanting revival in the church. And I mean, on Pentecost Sunday, we got to talk about revival. We need a revival of God in this nation. We need a revival of God in this church. But how many of you know, revival always starts with repentance. It always starts when the church and the people say, God, we're sinful, we're, we're, we're hard-hearted, we turn our back on you, we do the opposite of what we tell you to do, and we're sorry, forgive us, and then there can be a revival. The problem is we're prideful. We think we're always right. In this nation, we're so individualistic. We're like, we got this, God, and God is looking to revive something in this nation, in this church, but it will take a people who repent and humble themselves. It doesn't take a perfect people. It takes a repentant people. 
You think about David. David, a man after God's own heart, who committed an adultery and then committed murder to cover up his adultery. And then stole another man's wife after he'd killed him and took, him, took her as his own. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him a story about a man with a whole lot of sheep stealing another man's one sheep. And he says to David, he says, so what would you do to the man? And David said, I would take him and I would kill him, punish him. And God says, through Nathan, you're the man. And how does David respond? You know how a king normally would respond? How dare you? I'm the king. I do what I want to do. I'm the man. I got all the power. Out of here, off with his head. I don't need to hear this. That's what a normal king would have done. And let's be real, that's what we as the kings of our home, the kings and queens, often do when faced with conviction or correction from God. But David, being a man after God's own heart, falls to his knees and repents and says, oh God, forgive me of my wayward ways. Forgive me of my sin. And he breaks down before God and before the prophet. And because of it, God forgives him. There's consequences to our sin. But God still uses him and he still walks out his purpose. And so today, I want to tell you, church, if you truly believe and you want to truly walk out belief, you must repent. I believe the disciples here in this moment, when Jesus comes and says, uh, uh, you've had a hard heart, you've had unbelief, and I'm rebuking you. I believe that in that moment, they repented. They asked for forgiveness. And then Jesus said, all right, let's keep it moving. Now go. You see, some of us get stuck in our failure. We get stuck in our past. We get stuck in our sin. We get stuck in who we were. We get stuck in, our, in, in, in the mistakes we've made. And God is saying to you, look, I'm calling it out. I'm rebuking you for your sin. Now repent and go do what I'm calling you to do. Don't stay where you were. Step into who I'm calling you to be. God wanted to say to someone in this place, you're not who you were. You're, you're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your past. Repent and step into the new season that God has for you. But how you know sometimes you need to be rebuked before you can step into your full purpose? You see, if the disciples hadn't been rebuked for their unbelief, how could they have stepped into the next season of belief that God was calling them to walk out? And so I know that correction is hard, church. I've been corrected. I'm married. I get corrected all the time. I know that correction is hard. But let me tell you, when we are repentant, when God corrects us, then we can step, step into the full purpose that he has for us. So today, we need a church that is repentant and says, God, I'm sorry, I've messed up, but I know that you've got greater things for me. So what does it take to be saved? You see, it goes on. Right after he rebukes them, he says, now I want you to go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, I wanted you to catch that because how many of you know saving is simple? The gospel, you know the gospel is simple? It's a simple gospel. Romans 10, 9 breaks it down for us. It tells us, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe 
in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's that simple. We make it complicated and convoluted. No, no, it's really simple. But how many of you know true belief is always accompanied by works? The Bible says faith without works in James is dead. And so what Jesus is saying here to them, he says, listen, if you believe and are baptized, you will be saved. And so I wanted you to hear this because some of you have given your life to Jesus, you've confessed Jesus, you've believed in Jesus, but you haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you that you are being disobedient to the command of Jesus, who himself was baptized to set an example for us. So I just want to challenge you right now that you would be baptized in obedience to the belief that you have. We're, we have it coming up in just a couple weeks. We'll get you baptized. But you see, belief takes repentance. Stepping in your purpose takes repentance. Revival takes repentance. The second C of belief is a command to follow. You see, Jesus is commanding them to follow him to follow his call, to follow his mission, to follow his purpose. And I want to tell you right now, true belief always leads to true following. Belief is attached to following. You follow those who you believe in, don't you? That's why you follow all these people on Instagram. You believe in them. You believe in their product. You believe in their comedy. You believe in whatever they're selling, sponsoring. My wife, these last couple weeks, because she believed in Johnny Depp, she was following that trial like no other. I mean, she was on all the Instagram accounts. Every night I come home, she got YouTube on watching the trial back. I was like, what is wrong with you? She's like, Captain Jack Sparrow, he's going free. But how do you know you believe in someone, you're going to follow them. You're going to follow it faithfully in the same way Jesus gives a command to disciples to follow him. He said, follow me. And here's what happened, though. Can, can I be real with you? Following means you follow in the good times and the tough times. And unfortunately for the disciples, why they're rebuked is because they were all with Jesus when he was doing miracles and there were thousands of people around and the throngs were coming and, and, and Jesus was all the hype. I mean, he was the, the talk of the town, the talk of the nation. But then when he dies, people say, no, he's actually alive. We saw him. They don't believe because it's easy to follow when things are good. It gets a lot harder to follow when things get hard. And I've seen it time and time again, people who come to church and they're all about Jesus and then they walk through one tough situation in their life. They go, God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have let me go through this. And they walk away. God, if you really loved me, if you were real in my life, you would have, I would have gotten married by now, God. You made me wait this long. I'm done. I'm going to do it my way. I want to tell you, true belief means you follow no matter the circumstances surrounding you. 
because I want to tell you that God often walks us through the situations, the struggles, the storms in our life because he's molding us into who we need to be for the call that he has on our life. True followers are refined by the fire. And so today, if you really believe, you're going to walk out following no matter what you find yourself in the midst of. It's a call to repentance, church. It's a command to follow, church. And it's a conviction to go. Everybody say, go. go. How many of you know belief is a prerequisite to going? You don't go if you don't believe. You're not going to step out if you don't believe in the God that told you to step out. And so what does he say? Mark 16, 15 here. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go, go, go into all the world. Jesus says something, and I want you to hear it, church. He says something that is powerful. He says, now it's up to you. I want you to feel the weight of this today in this place. Now it's up to you. A conviction to go. Are you convicted so much? Do you believe so much in the God that saved you, that died on the cross for you, that is the hope of the world, the savior of the world, that you will go and be his hands and his feet and his voice to the world? You see, if you are willing to go, I wonder if you really believe. If you are willing to share the gospel when the opportunity presents itself, when you get connected with people in relationships, in friendships, at your jobs, I wonder if you really believe. And I want you to feel the weight of this because we say this so often. We say, oh man, but let's be real. Man, God, God, he loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And we use that as an excuse to not really tell people that how they're living is going to lead them to what his gospel tells us. Can I show you? Throw verse number 16 up again. Verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Okay, so I just got to believe. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. I want that weight to settle on your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, in your soul. Here's the reality. We don't like to talk about this in church either. The people in your life, the friends, the family members, the neighbors, the coworkers, the people you come across, if they do not believe in Jesus, they are condemned to a life and an eternity in hell. Caleb, don't talk about hell in the church. Come on, it's already raining in June. In Sacramento, what's going on? Can I tell you something? Hell is real. Heaven is real. And the Bible is clear that if we do not believe in Jesus Christ, we are condemned to hell. So when you say, oh, well, but God, God loves the sinner. He hates the sin. Guess what? Their sin separates them from the God who loves them, and their sin condemns them to hell. God doesn't condemn anyone to hell. Their sin condemns them to hell because God cannot be in the presence of sin. And the only thing that can take away the sin is the perfect sacrifice, and that's why Jesus came, and that's why we must believe. 
And so I want you to feel the weight of this because there are people in our lives, there are people around us, friends, neighbors, family members, coworkers that do not believe and they are destined for condemnation. They are destined for hell. And that's why I must have the conviction to go. That's why you must have the conviction to go. Because if I know that I receive life, how could I not tell people around me that they too can receive life? But we go, oh, I'll just let God do it. God will speak to them. No, he said it's your job to speak to them. God will get a hold of their heart. No, he said you go tell them about me and then I'll grab hold of their heart. God God will send someone else. No, I've placed you in their life. We actually give ourselves a pass from doing what God is calling us to do. And we say, well, it's someone else's job. You yellow light yourself. You've red lighted yourself. And God's saying, no, shooter, shoot. Take your shot. I've given you the call to shoot. So shoot. You all have a green light, church. But we hold back out of fear what people might think, what people might say. I want to tell you something. If the conviction of the condemnation that they will receive is on your heart, if you're convicted so much that these people are are destined for condemnation, you can't help but shoot it. You can't help but tell them. You can't help but love them properly. You can't help but build relationships. No, I'm not saying you throw it in every single conversation and get weird about it. They're like, hey, did you see that trial? Yeah, I did see the trial, but you know who's a good judge? Jesus. <laughs> He'll never convict you wrongly. You know, like, you don't got to get weird about it, but I do think that God's going to give you opportunities. And I think that too many of us pass on the opportunities, we ignore the opportunities. We hold back from the opportunities out of fear, out of hesitancy, out of what people might think about us, out of the mindset that, oh, it's someone else's job. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's up to you. What did he tell the disciples, which he knew we'd be reading thousands of years later? He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. You are Jesus' plan A. There is no plan B. Do you hear me, church? The church is plan A. There's no other plan. He said, I'm going to work through people, through my church, and they're going to go, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We must have that faith and that conviction to go. And finally, I'm moving quickly today. Right on, I still got eight minutes on the clock. Let's go, church. We must have a confidence to minister. We got any confident people in here? You're going, you're going, Caleb, ministry. Wait, 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 ministry. That's for the pastors, right? Yeah, they, they, they get called to ministry. They're in, we, we use this churchy term, vocational ministry. That means it's our full-time job to be in ministry. Can I tell you something? I would see myself as a minister, whether I got paid to do it or not. And I need to instill the same mindset to you that you are a minister 
of the gospel every single day, every single moment, everywhere you go, every job you have, I don't care what it looks like, what it is, what, what, what the rules are around it, you are a minister of the gospel. And somehow we've made this, and what I'm doing up here, like this is ministry, and when we pray for people at the altar, that's ministry. But the Bible tells us that we are all called to ministry every day, every moment, every place, every sphere of influence, every opportunity, every conversation, it's ministry. Listen, I've been coaching Little League. And thank God the season is over. It was rough, church. Never taken so many L's in my life. But you know what I realized quickly? My job here isn't just to win games. My job here is to represent Jesus to a lot of people who don't know him. That my character would point people to Jesus. My spirit would point people to Jesus. My attitude would point people to Jesus. The conversations I have would point people to Jesus. And I've had opportunity to minister, to pray for, to connect with, and to, and to bring the message of the good news of Jesus to people, parents on this team. Why? Because I went there with ministry in mind. I didn't go there just to be a coach. I went there with a conviction and a confidence that I would go into all the world and I would proclaim the gospel. Some of you are going, oh yeah, that's for people going overseas or going to Tampa. Go Zamora's. No, no, no. All the world is your neighborhood. All the world is your job. It's your school. It's your family members. That's all the world. But I love this text goes on, and I, I want to read it because the confidence to minister is not about you. Because I love that. I said, have you got any confident people in here? You're like, yeah, I'm confident. It's a confidence not in your ability or your strength. It's a confidence in the Spirit of God that lives inside of you. What does it say? Verse 17, throw it up for them. These signs, everybody say signs, will accompany those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons. Come on, be gone. They'll speak in new tongues. Come on. Got that heavenly prayer language you all don't even know. They'll pick up serpents with their hands, and they, if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. You know that you can have confidence because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You can have confidence because the signs that, that Jesus is talking to them about are the signs that still follow the church today on Pentecost Sunday in 2022 in Old Sacramento. We pray for people at this altar and we believe that they can be healed. We pray for marriages and we believe they can be restored. And I gotta tell you, we got stories upon stories of lives that have been changed through the power of God, not the power of man. How could I not be confident? I got the Spirit of God inside of me. 
And so today, I want to speak into you confidence as a minister of the gospel, not because of your strength, your ability, your talent, because you know what to say. In fact, the scriptures tell us you don't even know what to say. The Spirit of God will give you the words to say in the moment when you're having the conversations that he's giving you to have. Let me read some verses for you. This should give you confidence. John 14, 12 through 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater, everybody say greater, things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Why would we not have confidence to minister? Jesus told us, you're going to do more than I've done. You're going you're gonna to ask, and I'm going to do it. Acts 1, 3 through 5, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, today is 40 days from Easter, which is why today is Pentecost Sunday. And in Acts chapter one, right there, Jesus told them, you're gonna wait. And in Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And now the Bible tells us that we have the gifts of the Spirit in activation in our lives, that we can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit every single day of our lives. Acts 1a, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. How could we not be confident the Spirit of God has given us so much to be confident in? The power of God is upon us. And they went out. Verse 20 of Mark 16. I'm closing. Marked by Jesus. Three years. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This is the final words of the book of Mark to us. That when you go out from this place as a minister of the gospel, as someone who's confident to minister the gospel, that you recognize that Jesus is working with you. He's alongside of you. His spirit is inside of you, and he's walking with you, and he's giving you the power that comes from the spirit of God, and those signs will follow you. And so today, I'm declaring the Spirit of God is still alive and active and working and moving and miracles are accessible to us and the power of God can meet us in this place. I don't know what you need today, church, but I can tell you this, God can do it. I don't know what provision you need. God can give it. I don't know what healing you're asking for, but God can grant it. I'm telling you right now, the Spirit of God should give us confidence that we can minister the gospel. Here's what we're doing. Final thing. 10 seconds left on my clock. Yes. You should have got one of these on your way in. Everyone, if you didn't get one, grab one on your way out. They'll have them at the doors. It says, who will you share your faith with in the coming weeks? Here's what I want you to do. 
This is my challenge to end the book of Mark, the Mark by Jesus series. I want you to take this. Maybe today in this room or when you get home, I want you to write down the people that God has brought and given to you as an opportunity to minister the gospel to. I want you to write their names down. And I want you to make a list of all the people that you are gonna come in contact with in the coming weeks and that you wanna believe that God's gonna give you opportunity to minister the gospel to them. I want you to write it down and I want you to put it somewhere you're gonna see it. Maybe it's in your bathroom mirror. Maybe it's in your car. And every day, I want you to, in the morning, I want you to see that. I want you to pray. God, give me an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. God, give me an opportunity to minister the gospel to these people. And I'm believing that if you pray that daily, that in the coming weeks and months, we're gonna hear testimony after testimony of people who opportunities came and you shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were saved. Why? Because they believed. What am I preaching today? The be in belief. This is who Jesus wants you to be. This is who he's calling you to be. He's calling you to be a people of repentance, a people that follow, a people that go, and a people that confidently minister the gospel to those that God has put in your path. Jesus said, it's up to you now. Do you hear me? It's up to you now. It's up to you now. Would you say it right now? Say, it's up to me now. This is the call that Jesus has given you, church. I want you to walk as a minister of the gospel, confident. Why? Because this world is destined for condemnation, but we have the answer that saves and sets free and restores and heals. How could we not walk out this call? Would you bow your heads with me across this room? You're here, you say, Caleb, to be honest, you've been talking about my call and who I'm supposed to be in belief, but I don't even believe in Jesus or I've been running from Jesus. I've turned my back on Jesus. I try to do it my way. I got caught up in the things of this world. And, and today I'm coming into faith in Jesus Christ. I'm coming back. I'm going to believe once again. I'm going to put him at the forefront once again. If you're in this room and you need to either give your life to Jesus for the first time, you need to recommit yourself to believing in him once again. I want you to lift your hand. One, two, three, go. If that's you, go ahead. Put, put that up. Yes, 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 yes. Come on. Yes. Yes, in the back, I see it. You can put them down. Pray this with me, everybody here. Say, Jesus, today I confess my sin. I ask you to forgive me, to make me new. I'm willing to go. Here I am. Send me. I'm walking in the confidence as a minister of your gospel. Not in my strength, but in your spirit. So Jesus, lead me from this day forward as I follow you in your name. Amen. Stand to your feet, church. Here's what I want you to do. I want our prayer team to make their way up. We are going to sing. We're going to spend a little longer singing than normal at the end of the service because our prayer team is coming forward. And here's what we're going to do. I think there's some people in this place that you have lacked the confidence to walk in the call as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've lacked a belief 
that the Spirit of God rests inside of you, lives inside of you, can use you. Maybe you've been struggling with your faith and you've been struggling with some doubt. Today, I believe God wants to instill to you belief, belief, power, confidence, Holy Spirit empowerment. And so today on Pentecost Sunday, if you've been struggling your faith at all, you've been struggling in doubt at all, you've been struggling believing that God can use you at all, maybe you're hesitant even, you know you need to write down these names, but you're afraid to speak out the truth of the good news of Jesus, I want you to come and let them pray. This is a prayer of confidence. This is a prayer of belief. This is a prayer of faith. This is a prayer of Holy Spirit empowerment. This is a prayer of power. That when the Spirit's in me, I'm powerful. I walk confidently. I walk in faith, not doubt. So as we sing, I want you to come and let this team pray over you. Come on, church. Step out. Let's pray. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.